Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, anyway. <clears throat> Hi, I'm James Joker. Most of the web comments, reviews, and interviews. Today we're sitting down with Justin Akala, writer. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. Hi, I'm Justin Alcala, novelist, short fiction writer, and nerd extraordinaire. I, uh, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I want to thank you for having me on the show, first of all, and, uh, let's, uh, you're very nice as far as inviting me, but, um, you know, I've been invited to talk about, you know, how I started writing and why, and where did the madness all begin? So, so as a child, you know, like many kids, I dabbled in writing booklets and small comic books. I used to course my best friends, John and Dave and Adam, into reading them. Uh, they were horrible, but I tried to – already then, there were already uh, signs of them being a little gritty, dark, and macabre. But I really feel bad to this day. I talked to a lot of those friends, and uh, I'm sure they wanted to uh, stab their eyeballs out as far as it goes when it came to reading those. But um, it, I was big into writing, and I was also big into comic books. My first comic book was Alan Moore's 1987 Watchmen. Uh, and as far as that goes, I had no idea because I was in kindergarten when I had it. I received it from an older cousin. Even what it was about, I was just enjoying the art, and it wouldn't be till later I'd return to it to sort of um, really have a great time. But uh, as far as comic books go, when it comes to uh, being a novelist and a short, short fiction writer, uh, I had a lot of influences from Len uh, Kaminsky's uh, 1992 Morbius um, I even had as a kid a Halloween costume, which was this horribly uh, cheap plastic vampire mask, and I wore a leather jacket with a cape, and people would say, oh, you like biker vampire? And I'd say, Morbius, man. Come on, don't you read Marvel? Uh, but <laughs> that and then uh, Rob uh, Schraib's uh, Scud, the disposable assassin, were uh, some of my early influences, and you can still see some of their their weirdness in in things today. Um, but I took a break from all that as I kind of grew up, and then um, I returned to comics later on. Uh, my now wife was my fiance at the time. I think this is why I married her because she said one day, "Hey, we were living in downtown Chicago. There's a new comic book store. Let's go check it out." I think I quickly asked her to marry me afterwards, but <laughs> that's when I I went in there and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm a '90s kid. I grew up on uh, a lot of Marvel, a little bit of DC." But I've taken a long break. Tell me, what is going on these days? And that's when the uh, the lady at the register graciously took me through and kind of asked me what was going on. She introduced me to Brian Michael Bendis and uh, his 2013, the new Uncanny X-Men. And then she introduced me, because I'm a big spider head, to Chris Gage and Dan Slott's Superior Spider-Man, which, oh, mwah. Is just beautiful. I think the the whole idea when I first heard it sort of was jarring, and then as I started flipping the pages, I thought, "This is this is really brilliant. This is a nice spin on things." 
but anyhow, as life went on, you know, at first I was studying strangely to be a police officer, and then I got into hotel management, which was its own fun sales and marketing uh, for them. And um, but I was always writing, and um, shortly after, my wife, who in her own form was an artist, uh, artist and uh, <laughs> a burlesque dancer, later on, uh, she kind of helped me give me that little push. Um, and said, hey, you're writing all the time. Why don't we start working on you chasing it? Um, and before you know it, the whole crew, uh, career kind of grew legs and took off running. First off, obviously, I'm going to have to point out that, yeah, putting a ring on it as quickly as possible is definitely the best idea. Okay, right. great. Yeah. It's just you rarely see uh, some, you know, it's geeks and love type of thing you just don't really see all that often usually there's some sort of conflict in there so hey i like it thank you <laughs> thank you for saying <laughs> i appreciate that it definitely puts a new spin on a lot of the games of throne conversation oh my goodness if, if you want to start talking to me about geekiness i mean I, i've ran through all those i'm also a hardcore tabletop nerd uh, i like to play lots of Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars and uh, Shadowrun and all that good stuff. I am as nerdy as it comes, and there's actually a funny story. My wife, she's now a pediatrician, but she started off in, as an actress. And um, our first date, she invited me to a play uh, where she was Oberon's wife, a fairy princess, and she thought, this guy's going to think I'm nuts. I'm pretending to be a fairy over the weekends. And... Um, it wasn't until a couple months later that I told her I had a dark secret, and uh, she said, well, what is it? And I said, oh, well, I'm a total nerd. I play role-playing games. I collect comics. I write books. Uh, and I think she punched me in the arm, if I remember correctly, and said, I hate you. This whole time, I thought I was the weirdo. You're the weirdo. <laughs> so, so yes, we uh, from that point on, I think we were peas and carrots, and uh, we got along. That was whew, almost 15 years ago. Cool. Yeah, I'm enough of a geek that I'm making fun of the uh, new Freeform series, Motherland. So. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh, are you enjoying it? Oh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously a freeform thing, and so it's got all the flaws there, but it's still a really fun little series. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, with our son, Ronan, he's only a month and a half uh, old, I have so much catching up to do, but uh, I am getting all of the messages and emails and texts from my buddies that you need to check this out. So um, I'll be excited to take a look. Uh, however... I hate doing a semi-spoiler. I'm enough of a geek that I pointed out to a couple of friends that they're not. It's not a. Um, they're not witches. They're bards. Oh, that's cool. I am always the bard in whenever we're playing a game. <laughs> I I don't know why. Maybe because I like. I like to make up the lyrics as we go, and I'll literally, to the dismay of some of my closer friends, start to sing within the game. <laughs> as the drinks as the drinks continue uh i will start singing but uh yeah i'm always the bard so i love bards they bards don't get enough attention i don't think and in, in real life history and in fantasy yeah i think that, i mean it's just basically instead of having all the you know natural connections that a witch has a there's a lot of vocal training and a lot of their spells are cast through the uh magic medium of ma of sound song oh 
be still my heart. <laughs> That's amazing. So anyway, uh, when it comes down to the writing, actually, let me backtrack by half a step because of the hotel management. Sure. And I know this is going to be a weird segue. Um, but when it comes down to it, when you start playing with writer, you tend to find there's a lot of stuff from other stuff that comes into them. What I'm looking at here is you said you did a lot of the marketing for the, the motel you worked for. Yeah, I was in sales and marketing. I was a sales uh, manager there. It started off, I started off as uh, a nighttime overnight security guard just as a college job and uh, slowly went from to supervisor of that and then front desk supervisor and then uh, I did a leader in development program and worked my way up to sales administration and then sales. Um, but yeah, I would say there's a lot of similarities from sales and marketing in hotels to sales and marketing when it comes to writing. Uh, there are some clear differences, but um, the foundation is very sound. What aspects of that experience have helped you when it comes to marketing your stuff as a writer? So, you know, I have a couple of good buddies who are fantastic writers, and I think the big thing between myself and them, and we're very playful with it and jab at each other when it comes to it, is some of my friends want the classic Hemingway writing style where they just write this brilliant piece of art, and then they send it out into the world, and they get it published, and then they're done, and they let their publisher do all the work for them. I had learned at a very early age that that only, when it comes to you know sales and marketing hotels, that only is the beginning. Getting a client when you were in hotel sales, uh, that was just the start. Now there's the whining and dining. There's looking to the future. How do we open it up for more? How do we use this person and what they're doing to get our name out to other people. Hey, can you tell other businesses about uh, running a conference at our hotel? And strangely, it's very much the same. I believe that you need to sell yourself if you love your work. If you've put the blood, sweat, and tears into your writing, you need to fight for it. You need to go ahead and get your name out. Uh, you need to say hello. Uh, you know, I'm an intermediate uh yeah, I'm, I'm a mid-level author. You probably haven't heard my name, but can you check out my book? Hey, do you have friends who can check out my book? Um, you don't want to be slimy about it, and I, I think I'm very much aware. I kind of have the feelers out when I um, – I, I like to keep myself in check. I don't want to be creepy about it, but I do know, hey, you should have a blog every month. You should be able to have uh, people you connect with. You should go and talk to people about, you know, people on wonderful comic book podcasts about what you're up to because the little guy has very small market penetration and they really need to fight. You know, the first hurdle is the worst hurdle. They need to fight 10 times harder than the people who might have been aged in by some, um, you know, well-known uh, New York agency or uh, they might be with a major publisher. You have to fight 10 times harder. Um, and I think that's what hotel sales and marketing really taught me. When you start start doing your marketing, what usually do you, how do you usually go about it? So um, for writing, uh, as far as marketing goes, it's consistency, right? Uh, we are living in a world, whether we like to admit it or not. And this is something I learned the hard way. If one of my kids 
I really hope they don't. But if they get into writing, <laughs> if or anything of that close medium art or anything like that, um, it's the consistency. We live in a world where uh, the internet rules all, right? So everything from your your social media sites to uh, content on your own website um, to having your publishers. You know, I, I've worked with. 20 to 30 publishers already um, as far as short stories and novels go. And you need them to work for you while you're working for yourself. You need to have something. Every day I go out and I write. I sit down. I wake up early because my wife gets the night shifts with the kid and I get the early one. Put down my coffee. Make sure the kid's happy. And I have two missions. Write even if I don't want to write. And then when I'm done, before I can even finish my day, do one thing as far as marketing goes. And that's get out a new, hey, as a reminder, I have a short story coming out. Uh, or promoting other people. Hey, check out this other author, fantastic book I just read. Because authors read other people's, other authors' books a lot. I would say they're big-time consumers. So uh, I am not shy about promoting other people's work, too. You know, you have to work as a team. But do something every day. Uh, that is my rule. I will stick with it, and um, I don't think that's something that will ever stop. It's definitely good. I mean, consistency is definitely something you need to keep going at. Right, and you hear that all too often where someone says, well, I did the thing. I I have the Twitter account. I have Instagram. I'm, I'm, this is what people told me. How come it's not working? Well, how often are you using it? And not in a malicious way. You just have to train yourself because I was right there too. And um Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I didn't get it. But um, what it comes down to is you have to get behind the mule um, every day and get it out. Get the content out. Let people know who you are. And, of course, the obvious follow-up is how much did you engage the audience? That is, instead of just simply pointing out that you've got you know, a book coming out or you're hawking somebody else's stuff, how about you know, just simply trying to maintain some sort of conversation with your audience? So uh, I am all about um, letting it be organic. Um, I will send something out, be it a blog or a tweet, and if I get a response, I always try – to reply to that response because this is a person who is volunteering to have a conversation. Maybe they want to talk about something. Maybe they have a, um, have a question. I personally, maybe it's because I've been in sales and marketing for so long. I don't want to, there's a difference between saying, clearing your throat and saying, Hey, check me out and pissing someone off by hounding them. I never want to do that. Um, so if I can engage someone, if someone wants to talk to me or they've given me an invitation or if I say, Hey, are you interested in this? And they open the door, I continue. But, um, 
I, I have a strong line of, I don't want anyone to ever see me and be like, oh yeah, Justin Alcott, that's that obnoxious guy who sends all those emails to me or those messages. But I definitely do love engaging people. And oh, holy smokes, I have, um, quite a few people. Sometimes, you, you know, you'll even be surprised you'll send things out to someone and you will find out later on. For example, one of my heroes, Andrew Smith, I don't know if you've read Grasshopper Jungle or any of his books. One of his editors just said something about a pithy comment I had on, on Twitter, and I didn't quite know who they were at first. And then um, as I kind of looked into them and ha- we were having a conversation, I said, oh, my God, this is one of my heroes, one of my the people I aspire to write like. Uh, this is their editor. This is amazing. Um, and then we got into some interesting things about Chicago script and other types of, uh, writing, writing. Um, it was fantastic, but you never know unless you engage. So my rule is if someone gives you the invitation, answer the call. So yes, should, should you have a separate account for basically you as an author versus you as a person or should there should be a sort of a mix of the two? So, you know, at one time, I would say it depends, right? That's a heck of a question um, because I think some people intentionally are going to say something that's um, very avant-garde and they want to use a ghostwriting name. And for those people, I say have your own account, uh, have a separate one if you want. For me, it's really hard for me. I, I dabbled in having one of those. It's very difficult to do. I am all about honesty. You know, you have to own it. And so I personally just have my regular accounts and I'm a total nerd. So um, I'm going to post things that not always have to do with books. Anyhow, the weird, the supernatural, uh, <laughs> just the, the strange or just potty humor. And, um, I will get a lot of people who come and go when it, as far as it, uh, is, is that comes along. And, uh, I think me being honest with them saying, Hey, I'm this goofy nerd guy. Um, I write these things is proven to be a little bit better than having a, uh, a writer's alias, but that's just me. But some people, I think it has its place where you, uh, write with a different name. And to those people, I don't think there's anything going wrong. I'm just not organized enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think with some people, the mindset is that they have to keep things separate as far as the professional life goes. You know, this is what I do. This is the stuff I make and create and all that. And then there's the – and this is the stuff that I think and how I behave and what I actually think about, and these are all my hobbies. And try to keep the – Two of those separate. Right. And, and I 100% agree with you. 100% agree. For me though, what's really important to me, um, is being honest. You know, everyone should have the same crusade. You know, find yourself and find what makes you happy. It's this undulating, never ending pursuit that we achieve and then lose and then we, and then we chase it again until the day you die. But for me, as far as career, my career goes, and part of the desire has always been uh, becoming a damn entertaining storyteller, writing great stories, making readers happy. But you have to be honest in it. Um, you know, that's my tale. Someone else could be podcasting, owning businesses, designing houses, chase what you want to be, be true and be honest. And so uh, I, I think it lines up with my philosophy to just let it all out and 
walk down the street naked, uh, as far as it comes with my marketing presence. Right. Uh, and I guess going over to the writing stuff, what kind of stuff do you tend to enjoy writing the most? Oh, I, uh, I love the weird, the supernatural. Um, you know, these are vivid personifications of our own reflections. You know, you can watch how horror dances across the pages or how broken characters stumble through twisted plots and through absurdities. And you see a lot of truth in it. So I do occasionally write, um, non-magical, non, <laughs> non-creepy um, fiction. I have a couple things coming out in anthologies, and those are great. Those are fantastic. I think you need to be a phenomenal writer sometimes to really just uh, make it as provocative as it is. And um, I, while I enjoy those ones, for me, it's got to be a little weird. <laughs> I, I don't write for, uh, I don't write for professors and. Um, doctors those um some of my best friends are those people but they're far smarter than me uh i write for garbage men and uh teachers and i write for um you know undertakers uh, and i think uh it's my dark sense of humor kind of growing up on a the, the south end of chicago uh, a little bit grittier area um that kind of connects and relates to those people as far as it's being weird, but also a little bit uh, sick in the head when it comes to its sense of humor. I know there's an SCP reference in there if I really wanted to go for it, but I'm going to avoid that for now. (laughs) By all means, SCP, man, I haven't heard that in a while. I'm finding that about half my YouTube watching right now is basically SCP related. So go figure. (laughs) yeah <laughs> uh, you have to break it out once in a while and for those who aren't aware scp is serve control protect it's basically if you took x files and just took off all the governors and it's just basically a shared universe where people just create the weirdest possible things they can come up with and just have fun with it and i think i'm sure I have a lot of influences as well uh, from it. Uh, but the, the the best thing about that is you get some of these strange Cthulhu-like, uh, you know, Lovecraftian writings um, from the STP world. And um, you can't make those things up. They're, those It's so bizarre and strange it, that you won't see it again in any, any other sort of uh, story. I'm more of the, I'm more of the Dr. Bright type of stuff. You know, the stuff that has enough weirdness to it and allows you to actually think about the possibilities of it. Yes. And that's fantastic. I love the, I don't know if you've caught, um, if we're just going to jump, we're all over the place as far as our mediums go, but, um, Black Mirror, I don't, have you, have you checked out that, um, those series? I'm only up to the fifth season, so. Now, would you say that you that you like things like that, or is that a little too dark and noir still? Oh, that's that's right up my ballpark. See that that is wonderful. It's intelligent. Um, it's well thought out. It's a little edgy, um, but it's not so much that you're like, wait a second, 
what is happening here? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I totally understand where people um, love that kind of uh, that kind of storytelling for sure. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the I love the Cthulhu mythos. It's one of my you know one of those things I love. Either half making fun of or half being serious, but that's because I've got an astronomy background. So the whole concept that we're an insignificant speck off in the boondocks of the Milky Way galaxy, you know, appeals to me on some level. Ah, now are you a subscriber to the God Machine and all of that uh, fun mythos as well? Um. I'm not sure what the God Machine is. Uh, the God Machine is more that God is not this benevolent, um, white bearded man in a in a cloak, but uh, it is a machine that chases stability, and that we are all just a way of uh, mechanizing the world for it. Um, and there's some fantastic actually writing from um, there's there's a game that people who uh did vampire they uh they have demon the uh descent where you can play one of these creatures who serves the god machine and broke free and they're called a demon because they were once an angel um but it's not the angels you think of it's very steampunky but it it that i think runs parallel with cthulhu a bit but in a different medium um it, it, it's pretty creepy you should check it out oh, no, i'm more of god is a percussive maintenance specialist <laughs> so, he basically hands off, but if something needs to be cut, needs to be dealt with, he basically deals with it, whatever it takes. <laughs> what, mostly just being a helicopter parent, but occasionally stepping in and <laughs> yeah, pretty it much. <laughs> um, but when it comes to when it comes to the kind of horror, I like. I mean. Again, pretty much all over the place, but I like the stuff that basically has a little bit of fun with real life and just twists it just a little bit to make a point. Yes, and I think those are the best in some ways um, because those are creepy. That that you think to yourself, this really could happen. Unlike some of the weird things where it's a tentacle monster with uh, – <laughs> You know, tentacle monster with a toaster head. Uh, the semi-realism of those kind of stories, they're what creeps you out. My wife's a pretty practical person, um, but occasionally it's stories like those that, that makes her still say, hey, well, let's leave the hallway light on tonight. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the reasons that Twilight Zone did so well and Night Gallery fumbled so much. Where's the no? That's got to be a weird reference. With Twilight Zone, with Night Gallery, they basically went after all the big monster, big obvious monster type stuff, and it just didn't come off right. I mean, it didn't help that it was a TV show, but it just they didn't have as much fun with the reality or the how these monsters actually exist in that world. Right, and you know, it did that kind of story did have its zenith in the eighties. In the early 90s, I remember those monster shows, uh, but they were short-lived. They just don't have, you know, the mental floss that a Twilight Zone has. You know, Twilight Zone, it, it really gets you thinking, once again, speaking of Black Mirrors, um, you get excited by it. You think it makes you keep asking more questions compared to the monster mashups, which are a good short-term fun, but um, – uh, you watch one and, and suddenly you start seeing a pattern with 
you know, a second one and a third one very quickly in a lot of them. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, of course, what's funny is I'm starting to get back into the uh, slasher flicks of the 80s, so go figure. They, you know, they picked up. I don't know if you've watched, um, uh, shoot. Oh my goodness, what's it called? Um, American Horror Story. But they really nailed it with the 80s. My wife and I were watching it and kind of it piqued our interest. But, uh, the, the 80s, you know, that Stranger Things have, have kind of drawn back in that nostalgia of the 80s slasher flick and, um, let let's people like me share it with my kids and hopefully it'll continue to where they can understand it. Cause right now they're, they're just babies, but you know, in 10 years of seventies and eighties, nostalgia is still, still kicking. I would love to get some popcorn and sit down and watch Dawn of the dead again. Um, with my kids. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Especially when they're, especially when they're okay for zombie violence. Right. Right now. Not so much. <laughs> I've gotten in a little bit of trouble trying to watch a couple of them. Yeah, when you when you go dad mode, you have to retire some of those or wait for the kids to fall asleep at least. Right. And of course, make sure they're asleep. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I I try to be nice about it because my <laughs> my wife, I tell her these stories. She's like, "Geez, I really don't." I'm going to sound like there's venom here, but there really isn't. My mom was an 80s mom while I was a kid and she would do I think she took it a little overboard my mom you know we, we'd go and wash our uniforms for school um, and she'd be hiding behind the couch and we came back up from the basement with the mask on and chase you up the stairs and um, that might be a little too much these days but I think in the 80s it was a little bit more acceptable maybe uh, <laughs> kind of but um uh, to this day, at the same time, you know, me experiencing that fear and even sometimes I knew I could hear my mom going downstairs. She's like, I'm like, she's going to scare me. Um, that fear, that level of fear, you can capture that and, and you know, go for it when it comes to writing. And I still like to turn into that, you know, 10-year-old kid washing his uniform sometime when it comes to writing and kind of remind readers of like the terror you can feel uh, <laughs> when uh, you know the real monster, not your mom, is upstairs, and you can hear the the, the wood floor creaking. So, how do you basically start setting up that kind of stuff when you're writing? So, the first thing you have an idea. You say to yourself, "Wait a sec, I haven't heard a story like this before. 
oh, does this have legs? And then you think about it because an idea is not a story. An idea is just that. It might give you some theme, might give you some characters, but it's not a story yet. Um, once you have thing, your, you know, once you have your idea though, then you say, where does it begin and where does it end? And this is just me, right? This is, there's a thousand different ways to do this. Uh, I could only tell you mine, but, uh, you have a beginning and then you have to find that end. And then from there, you start. And me, myself, there are some people who have note cards spread all over the place, uh, some people who have everything well thought out far before they start. I like to begin and just let it organically walk through to the end. I have my start, my finish. I, what, you know, if I'm doing this in first person, I'm this character. Let's walk through it. If I'm third uh, character, depending on or third person, depending on how I'm writing it, where are they going with this? And a lot of times they surprise me. I'll say, what is this character going to do? I would like them to get to this final ending here where, you know, they open the closet and find out they shot their husband and the murderers in the basement. Um, But would this person, would this person go out into the backyard and investigate, given what I told them? I don't think they would. You know what I think they're going to do? I think they're going to lock the door and lock their husband out. So now how do I get my husband, that husband into the closet? You know, <laughs> so you kind of, uh, and I know I might be babbling a little bit here, but you do end up finding out as you go along from start to finish that things are going to happen that you didn't exactly think were. But I think that's the truest form. I think when you try to put a circle peg into a square hole is where you get a lot of writing problems. That's where you get a lot of writer's block. Uh, because something's not working and it's usually because you're trying to force something. So that's how I, that's how I kind of go through it. And those are my methods. And um, if you want to, if you want to enjoy them, good luck and write me later if you've lost your mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, funny question I'm asking lately is, are you a plotter or a pantser? <laughs> um, I am. I am a plotter. Uh, I definitely will, as far as when it comes to creating the climax, creating the rising action, everything, I want the plot at the end of the story to be the, aha, this writer knew where he was going the entire time. Um, I didn't see it until now. Perfect. Um, but I also, um, I would say my strength that I didn't know I had as far, I have many weaknesses and we could spend, um, until the next sunrise talking about them. There are things that I beat myself up over, but, uh, some of the, one of the strengths that some editors tell me I do have is also dialogue. So you're going to definitely get some dialogue with me. Um, it's usually going to be, I, I would say a little bit organic, a little bit realistic. Um, there, uh, just that you'll have a lot of haws and ums and uh, things that people would really say reactions that might not progress story, but is something that someone would realistically say, but I have a plot. I'm going to have some decent dialogue and uh, we're going to move on from there. And that I would say those are my strengths as writer goes. And Chris, unfortunately, see, you never bring things up in an interview that you don't want to be mentioned later on. Uh, what are some of your weaknesses and how do you overcome them? 
Yeah, this, this, like I said, let's get comfortable because I could go on forever. But I won't name – how about this? I'm not going to name off a, a lot of my weaknesses, but I will tell you how I overcome them. So um, I would say some of my greatest weaknesses is, one, I you need things to be seamless. Uh, when you're when you're reading something, you need to pretend you're the reader like it's your first time reading it. And sometimes I am very tough on myself. I will scrap it. An entire page, sometimes once in a while, even an entire chapter, because it sounds so blocky. You know, when your first draft comes, you're just writing it, you're getting it on the pages, you're letting it flow, and you're not looking back. You know, you're not going to look down. Um, You're just going with it. And then when I return to edit it, which is the actual difficult part, um, I will find things that I'm like, this makes no sense. This is so blocky. If I am a reader right now, I'm exhausted trying to figure out this person's motives, why they would think that. I need to really evaluate this, and I need to evaluate it in a way that is cleanly written. The biggest sin that I think a lot of early writers have is making – you know, comics is a little different, but when it uh, comes to writing, making everything – Giving enough information to where it you, it reads smoothly, and it's not painful. It's not dreadful to read. Uh, there are those people who like the Tolkien writing where you're going to hear about a whole world. You're going to hear what the wood smells like when the sun bakes it on, in the summer. Uh but that's not me. I want it to be seamless and clean, and uh, I really do like a flagellist almost. <laughs> I, I um, metaphorically whip myself a lot while I'm doing the editing because um, it's easy to get real choppy when it comes to your writing. So, yeah, I, sorry, I know how that goes. I, I didn't help that I just did a huge three-page info dump, so... Yeah, and, and you know, you do what you think the reader needs to read. You know, a lot of people say no ex- exhibition. Give it exhibition if you need to, but be careful with your adverbs. How many do you need? Be careful with how long a sentence needs to be. Be careful with letting something work itself into another thing and then cutting out uh, information that you originally thought was vital, but more is just an unnecessary third wheel to a paragraph or a page or a chapter. Uh, and you have to be really hard on yourself with it. And when I first started writing, I <laughs> I had a wake-up call from my first editor. Uh, they were very tough on me. And as many writers, early writers are, they just want to live and be happy. Um, they uh, – you know, they they kind of um, beat me up a little bit, but I think ultimately I'm thankful for it because once I survived that and said, okay, they are hard on me. Why? Because I'm not being hard enough on myself. And once I started being hard enough on myself, once I really started creating um, this second persona, this editor version of me that looked things over and was really tough about it, I noticed the editors – were a lot more uh, a lot more compliant with me. This is a good paragraph. I like this. I like this. This needs a little cleaning up. Let's do this instead. Instead of uh, putting me on the on the wood and uh, lashing my back uh, like like it, it had to happen the first time. 
Yeah, I think the only reason they did the info dump just because was because trying to do set up a post-apocalyptic scenario. Yeah, and you, I bet you, if I read that, you know, if you want to send it to me, I, I, I might take a look and say these are necessary things. Sometimes you're just going to write really thick writing because you want to tell people where they're at, where the world is, what's going on, and you have to, or else they, they. The rest of the whatever it is that you're writing, they say, hang on a second. When did this happen or am I supposed to understand what's going on here? Sometimes you just have to regurgitate a lot of information, um, but it should be clean. It should be cleanly written. So you start off with when you start writing, do you start off with an action scene or do you let people come in a little bit uh you know, I, I, really I, like, I like both. I like static development with static characters and introductions, and then I do sometimes also like the opposite. Um, I think every story will tell you how you should open it up. Um, I think I've had uh, a good mix of both, and they both have their merits and their flaws. I think when you start off a story smoothly and cleanly and you just let the reader – sort of run into it. It's almost like a rain where it starts off as a mist and then gets a little heavier. And before long you have a storm. I think that's very good depending on how you're trying to tell your tale. Um, that's really good for getting people connected slowly and gradually to characters and support characters, the protagonist, the antagonist. Um, but I also think there's that, you know, uh, having an action scene is a real good way to, uh, have a nice wake up call. Some people might, I, I, for example, I wrote a, a novel, Dim Fairy Tales and the prologue is very fairy tale-esque and it's, uh, very quaint and cozy and it's sort of like a child's bedtime story. But then I want to break you out of it. I don't want you to think that this whole story is going to just put you into a sleep. So the first chapter, we start off with a changeling or a half-fay, a fetchling, um, you know, depending on your culture, running with Puck from Shakespeare's um, Midsummer's Dream. And um, they're running from a troll in Arcadia that wants nothing more than to rip their limbs off. This is no cute troll. This is warty, female, creepy, slobbering, breasts dangling out, smashing trees, ready to pop off heads. And it kind of rattles you out of that um, that early story part. So I think everything has its place. You just need to have a heartbeat on what your story is going to be. And since you are a plotter, how often do you basically do the story backwards when you start moving, like you're outlining that sort of thing? You start from the ending where you want to try to accomplish and try to set that up at, you know, how to figure out how to set that up. Yeah, that's a great question. I think initially, I don't hesitate too much because when you hesitate too much, I think it was Neil Gaiman who said it. You know, you have to be like Wile E. Coyote when you're, when you're running off, when you're writing, you know, you run off the cliff, but as soon as you look down, that's when you fall. You know, you, you can't stop moving. So I think as soon as I get an idea, I say, how's it begin? How does it end? Okay, it ended like this. Mm, where do I need to get it to connect the two points uh, as far as going backwards? Well, 
how about the chapters before this end? We should have them, you know, in the circus, and they know now that this whole time the brother has been the ultimate plotter, and that he, even though he's just a child, he's uh, he's the one that's uh, been running this evil uh, carnival. And then we'll get to the next chapters afterwards. But let's now start with the start, the beginning. Let's go. So there's a, a small buffer, but I need to get started. I need to find that ending, find how we'll kind of get there, and then go straight to the beginning and charge forward. Because when you start, for me, this is only how my brain works. There's probably writers listening to this right now that are like, no, bro, you've got it all wrong. That's that's a terrible way to do this. <laughs> but um, for me, I need to keep momentum. And when I write, I write quickly. I write often. Um, and I will get some books. Yeah, it, I mean, the timeline's not important, but I will get the initial first draft done relatively quickly to the point where some people think um, you've rushed it. But I haven't. For me, how it works is then I'm very hard on myself with a second, third, fourth, fifth draft. Then I give it to a proofreader, and then I'm even harder on it with the sixth, the seventh, because now I'm embarrassed uh, <laughs> maybe what the proofreader said, you know, because it's all very exposing. Um, and then you get it to an editor, and then you're hard on yourself. Uh, but I think for me, you can't stop. The motion cannot stop. Yeah, a lot of writers tend, tend to forget you need to be like a shark in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. You need to finish. You need to finish. And if you hesitate too much, you will not finish. Um, keep keep uh, keep the momentum going like a train. And when you start, actually, when you start, how do you do the dialogue? I mean, there's a lot of different approaches to it. Do you basically just simply, you know, yeah, straight up, how do you do your different dialogues? So I'm pretty much um, very organic about it. Here's the scene. That's a great question, by the way. Uh, all your questions have been fantastic. So <sighs> it's it's such a good question that I'm taking a step back here. Um, I I would say that it is very organic. What would these people say? But I also ask myself, okay, there may be some hesitation, like I said before, some ums and some sidebar conversation as far as the protagonist and support character goes, but where do I want this conversation to lead? What effect will it have? And how will it sort of move the story along? And um, once I have that idea, then I let it sort of go on it onto its own. So, you know, Morgan and Asher. Um, Morgan is the big sister. Asher is the nerdy little brother. Um, and for this conversation, I want um, Asher to convince Morgan to go into the graveyard. Okay, I have my, my plot structure. How does it begin? Well, it wouldn't begin with Asher saying, hey, Morgan, here is what I want you to do. I want you to go into this graveyard, and here's a list of things that uh, reasons why I want to do it. No one does that. You you don't do it and actually sell people on that. You have to be a little bit more smooth about it. Um, so Asher's going to talk to Morgan and say, Morgan, a lot of weird things have been happening, right? Some, you said there's a lot of shadows crawling around, and uh, right? Yes, yes, okay. Let's have a little bit of conversation about it. Okay, um, well, 
I have suspicion to believe that the headstone of so-and-so is the ghost that's been haunting the basement. Uh, Oh, interesting. Okay, well, now let's go on to, hey, I have an idea. What say you and I tonight get flashlights and go into the into the cemetery? You know, this is a, a horrible example, <laughs> but um, you need to take it step by step. You don't just regurgitate it all uh, in in one sort of uh, in three or four sentences, because that's not realistic. That's not how people work. Most of the time, there are always exceptions to the rules. People, we're very um, we're very much so. Sidebar talkers, we are very much so hesitators. We say ums and uhs a lot, and some writers will tell you don't add those. I think they're wrong. I think that's very natural. Uh, you you want to make it clean, but uh, there's there's going to be there there's steps to a conversation that regular people have. And just listen to yourself how you talk to someone when you want something, when you're just trying to get information, uh, when you're just trying to talk about how your day went. You don't just spit it all out. It is multiple levels of back and forth, and I think that's vital when it comes to any sort of dialogue. Cool. Also, how do you keep the different voices different? Ah, so you, you know, that's a heck of a question because people, I've read so, I've read books and I'm sure you've read books too, and I'm sure I've written like this, um, as well, um, where you're kind of confused. Who's who here again? Who said that? Um, I don't, luckily they said Jane said, and then Mike replied, and then Christy asked, and then Susan said, um, but that leads for some pretty lame monologue. <laughs> you need to give characters dialogue color. So-and-so chews gum all the time. So when they say something, they say it while they're bursting a bubble or they say it while they're chewing iron, where it seems like they're chewing iron. Uh, they're chewing so hard. The other person they always start with really before they say something. That's their shtick. Uh, another person might fidget with themselves a lot. They might be a fidgeter or uh, an ummer. You know, they might start with um and uh and ugh a lot before they even uh, say something. They all need to have their own special masks, right? Everyone dialogue has its own color to it and you need to make sure you're always giving them a shade of color here and there to remind someone hey oh that is so the protagonist he always says things like this you don't just want to have the run-of-the-mill conversation to where the reader is confused as to who is who and everyone sounds exactly the same cool i go with the multiple personal disorder <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. All right. Any final thoughts? Um, you know what? No, I want to thank you for having me. I would say, um, as far as final thoughts, if I had to, you know, if anything uh, were to were to ever uh, occur and happen in the world, um, just be true to yourself. Um, you know, I. As I told you during this whole, this whole thing, went to college, was looking to be a police officer, was looking to go into hotel uh, management, all that good stuff. And I think I was just going with the flow and letting myself 
be what the world was choosing for me. But there is always a sort of calling, you know, and everyone should have the same crusade. Uh, find yourself and find what makes you happy. Um, you need to, and then when it comes to it, be honest. For me, it's writing. Um, I'm going to completely and utterly go ahead and uh, what you read from me while I might be jumping into different characters, uh, it's part of my life. Everything you you read, it's uh, whether you agree with it or not, it's people I've run into, it's thoughts that I have, and uh, some of them are exposing, some of them can talk about old dark demons I have, some uh, some some rough struggles. I have or people that I know and love who have the same thing, but it's honest. Uh, be honest with yourself because I think when you're an artist, whether it be painting, music, um, writing, comics, you get the best story, the best product when you are being honest with yourself. Cool. And, of course, the obligatory, go ahead and plug away. <laughs> well, um, please, if you can, just go ahead and check out www.justinalcala.com. I'm also available on everything from Twitter, um, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, WordPress, uh, and you'll find the links uh, on that site. Uh, also, um, if you can, please go ahead and pick up any of the novels that I have from Consumed, uh, The Devil in the Wide City, Dim Fairy Tales, and then there's also links to, you know, the, the multiple, the dozens of, uh, short stories and, and anthologies. In particular, right now, Black Dog Publishing is about to come out with next week. Um, their anthology that I was delighted to be a part of. Uh, I, I'm working with a lot of other talented writers, fantastic writers, um, for their Blackout um, anthology, which is a pretty cool idea the publisher had, and they invited me. The world is... Power just goes out. It's very realistic. There's no zombies, no aliens. And I tried, but they said, no, no, no. Stick to the rules. <laughs> but it is, um, I believe it's um, six to eight different talented authors telling a story from day, some of them begin in day one. And what they did was they asked us, all right, you're from day one to 20. You're day 30 to three months in you're doing this and they put it in an order. So you, while you're reading the book, um, you are going through different stories, but you're following a linear timeline, which is really, really cool. So if you can check that out, please do. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming along. This episode of webcomics reviews and interviews is brought to you by podsaves.com. You love podcasts, but it's hard finding that next bingeable show. Podsaves has taken out the guesswork by easily identifying the best podcasts out there, so you can spend less time searching and more time listening. That's P-O-D-F-A-V-S dot com. And that's our show. For those interested in supporting the show, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O. This features minicasts, the next episode, and unedited interviews, and I'm working on transcripts of the various shows. We also have an Alexis app offering two-minute minicasts offering writing and business tips, as well as affirmations to keep you writing. We also have curated playlists on YouTube with all the shows broken down to different playlists based on topic. It also includes a good part of available minicast as well as the Alexis briefs. So please support our Patreon page, download the Alexis app, and subscribe to the YouTube channel 
And please talk to us on Facebook. Thank you and have a great day.